Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 302, Fast 10, Fourth Gear. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two, and this episode's brought to you by Comic X, restaurant, bar, and store. At Comic X, your favorite superheroes unite with the best ingredients and unique recipes to create a marvelous place to gather. Shout out to Comic X. Well, shout out Mr. Arizona. That that restaurant is in yep. Phoenix, Arizona. How appropriate for the Fast and the Furious. Well, welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. So this is a very kind of special episode. This is an episode that, Joe, you and I did for Nico and Kevo and their yeah. friend TK's YouTube show, X is for Show. People might know it as X is for Podcast. They expanded into other things. It's not just a podcast anymore. It's now a YouTube thing as well. So there a is a video com- a whole network of things. There's a video component. So sometimes I started re-listening to it just to, like, take notes and, like, you know, put together a uh, – like a description. And so sometimes we like reference things that are on screen. So like Kevo and Nico, but I think a lot Kevo uh, being the visual presenter that he is uh, put together this whole like multimedia PowerPoint presentation. So if you want to see more, this is without editing the same thing that they put out on their YouTube thing this past weekend. So if you want a video version of this, go check out X is for show and I'll link it in the description of this episode. Or yep. if you want the audio, this is our conversation about Fast 10 with Nico and Kevo. Two other things, though, Joe. Number one, there was a rumor. We don't know for sure, but there's a rumor that today, June 9th, as this episode comes out, Fast 10 is on VOD. That's Yeah, we saw the articles. But, I I mean, that kind of tracks and kind of doesn't. How are you feeling about it? Well, so it's according to a listing on the Microsoft Store, which a lot of times things get leaked because, like, one retailer accidentally leaks a date. So it feels both a little bit quick and also right on time. So we'll know for sure by the time this episode comes out in the main feed whether it's out or not. But that'll be exciting because you and I have only seen this movie once, I think, in theaters, right? Yes, I've only seen this once in theaters, and I was hoping that it would come out quickly on VOD. I don't know how good that is for the franchise, but like you said, like, I mean, it already made like 360, like the first weekend, it's right? Over, it's over 500 something million worldwide already. So like it's... I think the VOD is going to do nothing but help it right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, good for them. So hopefully that's out now. We'll also be able to go through with a fine tooth comb and, you know, see things in slow pause. motion, pause things, whatever. Yes, definitely. The other thing I wanted to get to before we wrap this brief intro up to just get into the episode we did about with Nico and Kevo, but you asked... Uh, Saleya a question on the last episode on the Fast and the Furious and I was like actually that reminds me of another another question and we put it to another question we never got back to your question but you asked do we think is this a different Letty in the first movie because you were saying she just leaves Dom to run yes. from the cops yes and I was like we'll get back to that and we never got back to that so I felt a little bit bad while editing that but I think I think everyone is my my take is that everyone is a little different. I think everyone is like they're trying to figure out who these characters are, and like Dom is hitting on other women in front of Letty. You know what I mean? So like they're not as fully formed together as they will become. But what was your take on Letty? Is it the same Letty, different Letty? The writers don't know her. Michelle Rodriguez doesn't know her, or Letty is just not the Letty you know as a, as a person in universe that she becomes. What do you think? I think that you're right. Like all the characters evolve. That's fine. But the thing was, it just feels very off-brand. Like, even the, like, Dom flirting with other girls, Letty's, like, the main uh, interest for him, right? So, 
I don't think that that's like necessarily that weird and bad. You know, we see Los Bandoleros and stuff. They're not like married yet. They're still kind of young, whatever. We don't know anything about like the complexities of their relationship. But just seeing Letty be like, oh yeah, Dom, I knew you'd get home. And like her and the rest of the fam not be like, oh, we have to go rescue Dom considering where we get to later. Right. It just felt like a little off brand for me. Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that's right. And I think that's what's interesting. Like, that's what makes the, the first movie, aside from many other things, that's one of the things that makes the first movie exciting is that, like, they're, they're still true to the characters, but they're different, right? Like, they're not a string of cliches. They're not just two characteristics that, like, you know, a new screener comes in and, like, explores. It's like, no, these are, like, kind of dynamic characters that everyone's trying to figure out who and what they are. And that's exciting. It's different. It's new. I think so. I also want to shout out, because we did not shout out the patrons on the first episode or on, on Tuesday's episode, so shout out to Cassie Wilson, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleiman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Ooh. Slumber Party, Wes Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden, Renato Donato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sport, Jason Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, Josh Buckley of Whole Lot of Wolves, yep. Michael Moser, Christian Larson, and Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Mon. Mon. Tez. Speaking of Montez, she'll be on next Friday's bonus episode talking about Fast 10 once again. Still got a secret episode between now and then on Tuesday, so stay tuned for that. And a Life in the Fast Lane after that. And then we'll be back to sort of, I think, possibly regular-ish releasing. But, Joe, any other final thoughts to, to share with our listeners before we dive into this pretty long Nico Kevo episode? It was really good. I was saying to Joey, I popped into the uh, live stream when they were playing it on Facebook last night. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Nico and Kevo and TK all had very interesting takes. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it if you haven't heard it already, because uh, it was just like interesting new perspective things to talk about. And it was really cool to talk to them with their varying levels of fandom. And, you know, what TK only had. You'll hear. Never mind. It's a good episode. They do live streams every Saturday and Sunday, or most Saturdays and Sundays, about all different kinds of things, like, you know, lots of comics, but also other stuff like Fast and Furious. So go check out X's for Show, again, linked in the show notes. Email us, family at cageclub.b. Check out our Patreon page at twofast2forever.com. You know, just let us know that you're listening. Sign up, join in, join the family. Email. Yep. Email. And we will see you next time. On t- We will tell you all about it. When we see you after Nico and Kevo finish. Just like they said in the movies. Exactly. Welcome back to X's for Show, your weekly response to all things media. I am, of course, Nico, and you can check me out at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. And I'm TK. You can find me at X Nate X Gray X. And that leaves me Kevo, and you can find me at Kevo, really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. And we have quite the furious episode in store for you today. You can, of course, check out all of our Fast Furious adventures at X's for Show on all of your social media platforms. Every single one of them! Um, But, okay, I'm really excited because there's, like, a lot of things that get me excited in this world. Like, you know, I love too much. I love a little too hard. Um, But I really genuinely, unironically love these guys, even if I love what we're about to discuss at times a little ironically, right? So, uh... You know, it's a, it's a really fun episode for me. Uh, the guy we're about to bring on is kind of like um, 
I'm not even sure what to, he's like sort of like the guy that taught me everything I know, but also didn't try to like strangle me with that information. So like a good teacher. Um, and then he's of your course, Obi-Wan. and I would have learned everything uh, from Joe too, as well, but Joey took care of it all in the first place. So, you know, uh, he's your both... Jar Jar Binks. I love Jar Jar. I'm only kidding. Okay. Yeah, no. And he hosts Legends of the Hidden Temple. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. The Jedi Hidden Temple. Okay, let's bring in the J's, the the two J's. It's the one two J's, J's the, the J J's. Jedi J, the J J J. One J, then you get, that, you get other that other J. J. We've got the J's, and hello the J's. Hello the K's. Hello, hello. I am yeah. oh, no, bunker balls man. excited uh, to bring you guys onto the show, but that means everybody needs to know where they can find your coolness. So Joe Two, Joey Lou, where can everybody find the two of you? You can find us at Too Fast, Too Forever, just about everywhere that it matters. Also, cageclub.me for all of our shows, where this show had its humble origins before you blew up into a multimedia sensation taking YouTube by storm. Cageclub.me for everything you need to know. And also, but like you personally. Oh, I'm at Soul Popped everywhere, too. Yeah, I was just there. Joey D-E underscore at Twitter and Instagram and things like that. I thought you're like how I was just on all of his social media. Pages. No, it's just there. It's true. I was just right there. <laughs> that happened on a show I was just on. They like four people went on a live stream at the same time on a lark. Oh, social media. Awesome. <laughs> uh -huh. So, okay, we have to talk some social media stuff. Okay, everybody knows, of course, that Kevo, TK, and I absorb as much media as we can week after week, uh, and you know we bring it to you every Saturday and Sunday ball as it were, with the amount of drag race we are covering, good God. Uh, but we're taking a break from all things too gay to even imagine. And we're going to go from one kind of drag race to uh, an equally gay kind of drag race. <laughs> uh, just slightly unrelated. Uh, and we're here to talk about the Fast and Furious franchise, as it were. Now, I've now seen every minute of this fucking franchise. God help me. Uh, Kevo, you have been seatbelted in like a crash test dummy, like you're some sort of Canadian modern rock band in the 90s. We've um, seen more than some others, thanks to uh, having seen Spy Racers. So, yeah, I'm pretty proud yeah. of that. This is uh, this is the deluxe model. And uh, before we get to the J's and all of their incredible, intricate knowledge on all the F's, Teak, come on did you think you were gonna get through the intro without me being like come on talk about it what are your feelings about this oh franchise? no i knew i knew we were going there uh are you a big fan I... uh i saw the first one it is a very uh high school movie for me like that kind of experience There's going so to many moons fast and the furious in high school yeah uh for some reason i saw tokyo drift and i just remember that i was uh very drunk uh it's a good way to I watch it kept screaming tokyo drift nice yeah <laughs> uh, and then Same. i and then i didn't watch another one of the these films until yesterday when i watched fast x so that is my experience. Sounds totally normal and natural and an organic way to watch the franchise. Yeah. So 
Okay, now I can't wait to get to your reactions, Teak. That's gonna be a it's gonna be a breathtaking experience. But Joey, Joe, the two of you fly guys, talk to me. What is it that drives you toward this franchise? What makes you step on the gas and go full NOS toward family and don't look back till there's Cuban food all over the place? What is your Giselle? <sighs> Well, so we first started, Joe and I started our podcast adventure doing a Zac Efron podcast. Uh, I have been doing a Nicolas Cage podcast on the Cage Club Podcast Network. And when we were entering our second phase, uh, my friend that I was doing the Cage podcast with were like, let's do Keanu. And I was like, Joe, do you want to do any, like, do you want to do, because we love the movie, We Are Your Friends. We're like, let's talk about Zac Efron. So we watched Zac Efron, all of his movies, and we're like, some of these are wonderful. Some of these are great. We love really him bad. in all of them. Some of the movies are absolutely terrible. We never watch these again. And so when we finished that, we were like, what could we do to never watch bad movies again? And we decided to watch a franchise with only perfect movies, only 10 out of 10, watching those movies on repeat forever, The Fast and the Furious. Oh, wait, but if you were only going to watch perfect movies that were 10 out of 10s, when are you going to start your Police Academy podcast? As soon as we get a mission to Moscow. So now, Joey, I hear you. I hear your side of things. But Joe, Joe, do you have four minutes that are going to get spliced into the beginning of this film that tell a different story about how it all happened? No, I I was always a big fan of these movies. Um, I had followed along. I had watched all of them through six as like they came out and i was just like really fond of them and joey was always somebody that was like no i don't i don't like these movies i don't want to watch these movies and when he was like oh man i watched like fast and fear like i watched fast five and this was a really great movie and then wanted to revisit them i was like i'm in like this sounds great to me um there's just like a lot of really cool things in them that i like that i'm sure that we'll get to when we talk about them but like yeah and it's kept me in so I'm a huge fan now. I like I was always a huge fan, but I'm a huge fan. I still like talking about them. And it's just a good time and good way to talk to Joey. You know, uh, like most people, I came to this franchise for the theme park attractions, video games, and straight to Netflix animated series. So the finer things in life. Oh yeah. You know, the um the the cavassier mm-hmm. of Fast Ooh, and Furious projects, you know. Um, but all said and done, we are here to talk about Fast 10, which is the 11th film in the franchise. So it's kind of like trying to figure out how to watch Drag Race Untucked for All Stars. Calm down, Big Bear. I'm working on it. (laughs) So, okay, for those of you who don't know, Kevo, if you would graphic me, please. What is this? Oh yeah, no, we do it with live graphics. It's real. This hot. is this is Kevo's true form. Like you, we got a Curious taste of. Part. So when Nico and Kevo watched all the movies on our podcast, which you can go to CageClub.me to find all those episodes. They're Please still up do. there. They're amazing. We heard Kevo's research, but now we're seeing Kevo's research in it's a beautiful. way that is even more it's beautiful gorgeous. than I could have imagined. Yeah, some of it's mine. Some of it is executing the boss man's uh, research for sure as well. Uh, it's a team effort and. Uh, yeah, we love to make things neat and pretty. Helps keep people informed. So let's inform the people. Let's blow it up. 
we have Fast and Furious coming out June 2001 with uh, a clock time of 106 minutes, which, you know, you're looking at these first few movies and you're like, oh, wow, they're going to average like 106 minutes for four hours. And um, it is interminable how long some of these movies get, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want to say that my top three things about this franchise are the BT score to the first one. Uh, my eternal sexual fascination with all things Dom Toretto. And um, I think my third favorite thing about this franchise is my belief that it's actually a supernatural franchise with the Fast Force and the Furious Force and the heart of the race. And it all connects back to... I should have put Rush Rush by Paula Abdul on here. Anyway. So uh, the Fast and Furious franchise is filled with a lot of things. And as you can see from this board, uh, it's actually really kind of the same thing a lot in a good way. I mean, like, you know what you're getting when you sign up. But there are some really strong through lines that run through here. And I think, TK, you described it really beautifully as a cult of people with cars kind of fighting crime, kind of. Well, that's how um, Alan Richson describes it. Uh, yeah, Hank from Aquaman. Titans uh, when he's yelling at Brie Larson. Reacher. Uh, yes. Yeah, Reacher. Um, who I just would burn you all alive for five minutes alone. God oh, bless that man's trend line. You know what <laughs> I just mean? Staggering There's results. Uh, Look at that man. Look at that tan. Boy, Boy it's knows ridiculous. how to cycle. That is some... Uh, uh, and he's really good on Titans, <laughs> so, you know, watch Titans. But anyway, he's yelling that at Brie Larson, and I just thought... What? How? How can anyone watch anything that was ever produced for HBO ever again? Oh, uh, just pirate it. Honestly, guys, just pirate it. Come on. <laughs> um, that, to me, was, like, the most beautiful moment of introspection in this movie. <laughs> Because it was so staggeringly self-aware <laughs> and uh, correct. And the fact that, you know, he ultimately ends up being a villain uh, kind of makes it even better. But he's I don't know. So all my jokes aside, I actually do love the through line of these films being family. A certainty that if you trust your skills... You can never go wrong within reason as long as your goal is the betterment and protection of others. And you are always just one bro hug away from reforming a villain. That's yep. really three things that I do love about this franchise for real, for real. And Kevo, I'd love to get three things you loved about this franchise uh, looking at this board of 10 films. Ooh, three things about the whole franchise. Because we have the 10 films, and I also have this very special board spiced up uh, for the uh, which the spinoffs. The absolute best, in the best thing in the entire franchise, bar none, far and away, is Los Bendelores. Uh, oh. Best thing in the whole franchise. Uh, Vin Diesel directing himself looking sexy and tortured. Oof. Did you did you catch the little Los Bandoleros and FX for you? I was thinking yeah. about you when we were watching in the theaters, bud. They were like bros forever, Los Bandoleros forever, and I was like, Argh! Kevo, oh, if you're stuck God. with what the three things that you love are, we could just say Spy Racers Rio, Spy Racers Sahara, and Spy Racers oh, Mexico. Because we all I we love all that love you those. didn't say Spy Racers South South Pacific though, because <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
not to say Spy Racers South Pacific. The only good thing about South Pacific was the that weird cartoon song that they did. I think mm. Dom had uh oh, Tony yeah. had a uh didn't he have, like have an acid trip or something? That was great. With the with the monkeys, maybe with the, the monkeys, monkeys had like some I kind think of that like was the season with yeah. the monkeys. Yeah. Um, that's right, TK. There's an animated series for this show, and there's a season with and I, I want people, monkeys. I'm very aware about the animated series. Viewing the video to look at that originally released column and look how close those dates are for six different seasons. Let's just talk about that and about how oh, good yeah. sports Nico and Kevo both were to come back on our show and talk about all of Seemingly those. Seemingly monthly. Almost monthly. Almost monthly. Well, like for the first 10 months... <laughs> nothing it was eight episodes and then we didn't hear anything again yep and then it was 44 episodes in, cycling in one in, in 14 months it was yeah. it was yeah. it was a marathon and we made it uh it's it's a cute show and i think one of not only do i love spy racers but i love how spy racers really does um portray how much the series just sort of loses touch with reality over time the thing i was just thinking to compare it to in my head a little bit uh is community the way <laughs> it, it really did start like with one foot grounded in reality in a lot of ways there's this meme i'm seeing a lot that talks about how the emotional climax of the first movie was finding out brian's a cop and and now it's like missiles and 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 giant terror bombs and like flying through space so different from where it started in uh such a really fun way and they're unapologetic for it and they shouldn't apologize for it they're having fun with it they love making these and and i guess that's also something that i love about it the energy that they bring to it uh they clearly love making these movies together it's why they keep making them and more power to them especially as they keep making money they're such awesome people that just want to keep uh making these positive films about family and i think that's really cool so tk as someone who had only seen the first and the third one but you know someone self-described or nico describes you as you know absorbing as much media as you possibly could you knew about things like in the franchise even if you hadn't seen those movies seeing two of the most grounded movies in the series and then fast forwarding to Fast 10, which is almost indescribably a different film from those first two. Did Were you ready for how over the top it was? Did you think it was going to be even crazier? What was your reaction from basically the whiplash from going from grounded car movie to we are superheroes who are indestructible? Well, and also... Were you devastated to find out that the fifth film was not called Fast Five Freddy? Five Nights at Fast Five Freddy's? Or a Blondie That's going to be a crossover. To Fast Five Freddy from Rapture. So. Um, I was a media studies scholar in another life. So I have been thinking every time I see one of these movies come out 
they can't keep doing these, right? Like they can't possibly top <laughs> themselves because I know the formula and I understand that like having seen the third one after seeing the first one, there is a jump there. And I, you know, I noticed that like, okay, they, there's a stakes ratcheting up. And then, you know, when you get to fast five, I'm thinking, okay, this is enough. Like, they can't go any further than this. They can't build a bigger climax. And then I just stopped thinking about them and Paul Walker died. And, you know, I just sort of. The cars learned Tantra. What? The cars learned Tantra. Yeah. You know, they, they could meditate. They, you know, got themselves in different positions. Without and, having to exhaust. Um, I just really, I did not pay attention to the fact that these movies were still coming out. I was aware vaguely in the back of my mind. I was very aware of how bonkers the superhero-dom of Hobbs and Shaw was. No, but um, hold on. I, hold on. That movie has a borderline spiritually magic Tongan Maori um, war dance that is like yeah, the highlight of like, the fucking movie. And they nanobot enhancements. Like, it's that's, yeah, a, that's a supernatural Superman. film. Um, Idris Elba is so good in that movie considering he's just beautiful that's why I'm aware of what goes on there he is given the worst script and he makes he he makes kerplunk out of marbles and sticks if you know what I mean so by the time I got to 10 I you know I, I went in expecting basically what I got in terms of how insane the action is and how much it's just completely impossible and they really have to do stunts that are kind of mind-blowing to even conceive of and that, you know, are impossible to suspend your disbelief for. But what I was not ready for was like the first half hour of just like heartwarming family stuff. Mm. That's the best part. Well, I know it's, it's a great part, but I just, that was not something that I ship it. Stop. I, I love Rita Moreno. I mean, it's just in anything, in anything, in everything. Yeah. Uh, I really, I love your perspective. And let me ask you a, a deeper question that pivots to a question for the Joes. Yeah. Right. One of the main tenets of this film series is that while it requires the understanding of alpha masculinity and sort of like the traits that build up uh, hyper testosterone sentiment one of the things is that it's defined by dom's ability to have feelings dom never is incapable of expressing his love for his family and one of the things that that leads to is the nature of a blended family like none other you can say a lot of shit about the about the uh fast and fear the the fabulous baker fast furiouses um but you certainly cannot ever begin to accuse it of a lack of diversity or um, sort of tokenism because nobody's here just to be the black guy. If you're here, your blackness is a part of who you are and it's beautiful. And so one of my questions for you guys is fast X actually sacrifices character in a lot of ways in favor of understanding of definable tropes. And I think that's actually one of the film's strengths. How do you guys feel about not really needing to know the characters to have a good time? Now, that's for you, TK, as somebody who doesn't have eight of the films in your background. And that's for you, Joey and Joe, as 
people whose job it is in a lot of ways to walk people into this franchise, to help people begin to understand it. How do you guys feel about the troping of characters? And of course, Kevy, I would love for you to bring up the rear. I think that when you put the work into a 10 film franchise with spin-off films and, you know, sh- shows, you you actually do get the time to build up character over time in such a way that when you put the characters into the 10th film and allow them to interact with each other without ever worrying about what the audience doesn't know and you have them speak as though they have these literal decades of history between them uh, and they would reference incidents in a way that is not expository even though there is a lot that I did not know like for instance the scene with Helen Mirren because Helen Mirren fucking rocks oh my god Um, she's so good in every one of these movies dude I believe that she is I had no idea who she was I just figured she was some kind of informant and then of course I get to the scene with Jason Statham and they go you know they're they're going after family and it puts her in and I'm like oh they're both British of course that's his mother Um, But the fact that I didn't know that I didn't feel like I was losing anything from that scene where she's speaking to Dom. I was like, this is just Helen Mirren being an awesome old lady. And by the way, Helen Mirren, I love that this is your English crime accent. Uh, Really that you developed this is a beautiful thing. I'm so impressed with your British crime underlord lady in accent. It's like really flambeau, G. Uh, G. Chesterton levels of like, oh, I might. It's, I am a crime lady. Oh, jiggery and pokery. Skull duggery. I. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, at the end of the day, even though I kept note, like, it took me a while to figure out that uh, John Cena was actually uh, the, most the, beautiful the man brother, the alive. blood brother of Dom Toretto. Took them a while uh, too. That's okay. Us, yeah, yeah, us yeah. too. So, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Of course, it, it, it came, comes late to the franchise. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to bring it up now because we have to. That Dom has a black baby confused me to the point of stopping the movie and trying. We have not... theories about that. We have. I mean, they're not. They're. And that's also not, not the true. first. The first shade that of is, that baby. That is the third movie that child has been in, and the third different actor playing that child. Oh, wow. Okay. And they've that's... all looked radically different. I did not think about that. That's important to know. I was in a third Fast and Furious film and it radicalized me. <laughs> I mean, this is my third one. And I'm feeling pretty <laughs> radicalized. Um, is Charlize Theron queer in this movie or does she just have short hair? No, she's the fucking worst thing about the franchise is what she fucking is. Disagree. Well, really also, like her, so short hair. I'm, we, we can get to that later, but she's not. There are no queer people in this movie. In this Correct. franchise, um, Not- I actually I have some personal feelings that everybody in these films are bisexual. I it it very much Could feels that right. way, but no same sex people kiss each other at any point. Except Jordana I, Brewster and uh, Michelle Rodriguez don't I'm kiss. About to say no, 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 they, no, no. There is no That'd chance they don't smush parts at some point. I would. I think that is the case. You know. Uh, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel go off to one bedroom. Jordana Brewster and Michelle Rodriguez go off to the other. It's a fun night in that house. It is I think missing, this franchise is missing LGBTQIA plus characters. That's a huge bummer because it actually really feels like they could be in this movie and be safe in this family. Um, oh, but I would point. rather they not be in it and be tokenized or be 
yeah, the butt of jokes than, uh, you know, not have them in at all. So, but I would love, you know, with two more movies coming out in this like fast X storyline, I'd love if at some point one person could kiss another person of the same sex. Well, that is something that we've talked about a lot on our show and also specifically with Nico and Kevo, but there is yep. in the animated series, one of the main characters has two moms. And then in one of the video games, one of the main characters is non-binary. And so they are trying on the periphery, but they have not yet made their way into the thing that like is the most visible that the most people see. Yeah. Um, but you which guys is unfortunate. Have- you guys have such a progressive view on it that you say, you know, you could see the way that people read them as, um, you know, non-heterosexual, not that necessarily they are on paper. But so talk to me about how that fits into the tropism for you guys. Because, again, I use tropism in a good way here. I think it's a strength of the film. It's an acceptability by virtue of there's room for everyone. And it sometimes is letting the actors speak for the characters. How do you guys feel about that as, you know, Fast and Furious Sherpas? Joe, you want to go for it? Yeah, I think that actually, like, yes, they do exhibit a lot of tropes. But the things that we like about the movies is actually how rich and deep the characters can get at points. And that's always what we're watching these films for is to, like, watch them unfold and have deeper emotions than just what they look like or you know their giant muscles or whatever is going on so i think the tropism you make a great point that it makes it an easy entry point for people that maybe haven't watched all the films to have something that they see they like they can latch on to in a character and like the ability to be able to find someone in these films that you can see yourself in i think is a huge positive for them like if you if you're any like nobody's not and nobody's not cool in these films either right like everybody is like the coolest person you know and they Except look like Tej and every- roman <laughs> even they're kind of cool right so like, yeah exactly it's yeah. just all love hundred percent i just i love picking on Tej and roman because they're the best oh yeah they're kind of the um waiting for godot of this whole situation waiting for gal no, godot no. Oh. waiting for the, the the most boo character oh uh that ruined a moment for me what, what, what? Gal? yeah, yeah. It, it could have only been worse if a... you were played by natalie portman He's not uh, a gal pal. I this is uh, a, that, blonde this is a Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman over Gal Gadot. Um, oh, well, you know there's a whole history of Gal. That or you can assume like, at least there's a whole history. I I I did. I went and looked this up because I was wondering if like we were getting a prize of the entry of Gal Gadot into the franchise or no. if this was a return. So I did look it up and I was bummed to learn that. But uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, for like fan, like for people that are really into the movies, Gal was like a huge character, and Han sure. is pretty much everybody's favorite character. So he lost his girlfriend, and now she's just surprised back. This is like mind blowing stuff here. Now, Joe, we, Joe, we, Joe, we. Um, I, I think one of the things that's the best about your relationship with this franchise is. You are a sort of like a a realist dreamer about it. You see a lot of the film's best potential that's between the lines, but you recognize when the lines fall a little short of delivering that clarity for okay. people outside of doing the mile by minute trip that you and Joe are doing, uh, you know, breaking down this franchise to so my big question for you becomes. 
as a guy who knows these films like you know real people, how does the simplification that sometimes the script allows for play into your understanding of what these films are? So I think it's difficult. There's there's two things. I, I'm I'm for it and I'm against it. I think for someone like TK who has maybe you know not seen many of these movies or any of these movies that like every one of these movies has to be to a certain extent someone's first fast and furious like they have to write it in a way that like people have to understand enough about what's going on that they can spend you know like our tickets for 23 dollars or whatever because it's new york imax prices like you're paying that much like i need to know at least something what's going on so there's a scene in the middle where Ames and tess are like talking about like they're showing clips from past movies basically and they're like and this is the gang and this is the family and they started with dvd players and they went to Rio. it's like all this like you're like okay i kind of get that right i think what is what Joe and I look for in these movies is not the action. The action is what's going to bring people in, but like to a certain extent, when we're on these movies for the thirteenth time, which we just started our thirteenth lap, the action scenes we, we kind of don't care about them anymore. Like they are fun, yeah, and they are spectacle, but we want mm. weird lines. We want character development. So I think the shortcut to your point is like it's good it's necessary to keep bringing people in that someone's first fast and furious they're going to go back and watch the other 10 like tk i know you love this movie so much you're gonna go you're gonna go catch the eight that you missed i know that's coming if you want to join us on the podcast love to have you but i think that the the reason we love these movies is for the characters and i think oversimplifying them is understandable but for us a little disappointing but like there's no other way to do this without doing it like that and you know kebo that was something we talked about that like you know the best character for both of us in this film was jacob toretto excellent mm -hmm. character yeah who had frankly no personality last film nope and you know this is kind of a reference just for joey but if you ask me who jason momoa based his performance of dante on it's kuja from Final Fantasy Nine, I think he based his performance on Kuja. Mm -hmm. See, I felt like he was playing the Joker. Like I literally Kuja! felt. I don't know if it was Momoa's choice or if it was specifically how the character was written. Which, hey, I mean, but it really felt like they were just writing the Fast Furious gang versus the Joker in some ways. Uh, so that was pretty wild. Which makes Dom Batman, right? Basically, yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That kind of tracks. Yeah. Batman. Oh gosh, yeah. and that makes Paul Walker Jason Todd. Ooh. Gosh, and under the red hood, then has two meanings because it's under the red hood of the car. The car. Yeah. Fuck, um, guys, death in the family. You did it. I feel like he's not Jason. I feel like he's like young Commissioner Gordon, Jimmy Olsen. I'm just trying to figure out what male character Letty is. Um, so, Kevo, talk to me about tropes. Talk to me about tropes and people. And what makes us, people who maybe wouldn't necessarily interact with this particular franchise normally from the outside, what brings us back that we didn't just want to talk about it on someone else's show, but that we think there's so much good in this franchise, we want to talk about it on our own. And how does that play into the sort of color forms you can play with the characters? Um, I mean, I, I and I chose the 
profile pictures that I picked for a few of these people for a reason because of the colorful gas plume motif yeah. that they used for um, nine. Mm-hmm. That like nine. we use, <laughs> yeah. Um, where every single character got a different color poster, mm-hmm. and. I think that really speaks to the way that they want these characters to stand out. Uh, and, you know, that's part of the superheroification of them. It's part of the action figureification of you need the characters to sort of stand and be different and have these uh, different things that draw you to them. Um, you know, Tej and Roman have a lot in common, but they specifically are very different. And that's why they play this sort of Statler and Waldorf uh dynamic off of each other so much it's it's and it's also really it's really wild to see how these characters are evolving over time and roman especially in this movie and the way that everyone was like that's a leader and i was like good god that was brian's best friend from like second grade and we haven't seen brian in ages but roman is still here and everyone is like roman our old buddy and you're just (laughs) like yeah that just is what these movies sort of are sometimes you made that point earlier of everyone is just you know one good heartfelt talk away from being invited to the cookout and it is how these people have this capacity for forgiveness and to fold all of these different people into their group as well. It's not just that they are themselves these dynamic um, figures uh, that 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 stand uh, for these different tropes, but they constantly welcome in and and usher out uh, different characters. And you know it's almost marvel-esque in a lot of ways this franchise that they have built you know it's a really cool thing feeling like we've spent a couple of years with these characters because one of the things that i walk away from most grateful for is when we look at this board of everybody's films and right it gets a little hard to read because there's a lot of films and a lot of characters But what you can see here on this board is every character from the franchise that appears in the course of Fast X. And I just think that a a franchise that dedicates so much time to remembering characters deserves that sort of respect back. One of the things that I thought was really crazy was trying to realize that by the time this franchise ends, the actors... Are going to be expendables age. And there's sort of a natural fascination because I can think of a few franchises that have played out over the course of 40, 50 years. I'm looking at you, Indiana Jones, which I am very excited to talk about. Uh, Apparently Um, it's abysmal. Great. Even more excited to talk about it. Perfect. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the whip crack of old age. So I'm here for it. I did but... like his quote that he's just like, I'm an old man on a horse. I want to look like look an old, old man on a man horse. On it's horse. like he's leaning into it, right? They're not going to they're not going to fix that in post. Let him be an old man on a horse. Yep. And I think the thing that it draws my attention to is this might represent the most long term consistent form of regular serialized soap opera media in theaters. I don't Ooh. think any one thing has gone as long 
as this has. And my biggest problem with Fast X to finally move to this movie was this felt less like a film and more like a collection of YouTube shorts Mm -hmm. addressing every character in the franchise. And that left me feeling kind of cold. My biggest attachment in this film series is watching Dom overcome someone try to hurt his family. Dom's source of strength is his family, but it also becomes his weakness. Don't poke him in the family. It makes him stronger. Don't poke him in the family. It makes him weaker. It sort of becomes a hit points versus attack points situation. The more you go after Dom's family, the fewer his hit points. But the lower his hit points, the greater his attack becomes. This film lacked an understanding of balance. Any actor entering a script has to think about highs and lows of a scene has to think about how to dynamize their script. This film failed to dynamize because it treated each moment as a five-star video rating instead of as a film moment. That's my big criticism of this film. And then I want to do really big positive takeaways too, but I would love to get everybody's, how do you feel about this as an 11th movie in a franchise What did this film mean to you as a standalone versus entry film in a franchise? And I'd love to go down. Oh, perfect. uh, I was about to say, I'd love to go to whoever's got one. I was going to say that this is something we've talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks since we saw this movie on our show. And I think for people who don't know the backstory, it's important to know that Justin Lin was directing this movie and then left production a week into shooting, not a week into production, a week into shooting and was scrambled to be replaced by Louis Leterrier. And so he's given a lot of interviews, understandably, over the last couple of weeks as the movie has come out. He's doing promotion for it. And he talked about breaking this out as a a season of TV as opposed to a movie. Because I think the thing that's on the screen now that that Kevo just navigated away from, but like the the amount of characters, and not all these people are in the movie, but like the amount of people who have importance within the franchise and also like importance to the box office and egos and everything and nothing bad. Just like you have... 15 or 20 enormous names that were like leading actors in movies that you have to get into the movie and i don't know how you do it so i don't i agree with you nico i don't think it's necessarily a movie especially since it ends in the middle of a scene or the middle of three different scenes i want to talk to kevo about that that's a conversation started that we've tabled on our show because i want to ask kevo as the story guy the kind of arc we'll get to that a little bit later hopefully Mm -hmm. but I think that the fact that this works at all is kind of a miracle. Yeah. Even though I, I wish that it was more of a movie than just a collection of like set up stories to a later payoff. Joey was saying that like he he had a problem with exactly what you're saying that it kind of ends at this point and it's not a movie. And I think that eventually we're going to have to contextualize this with the other half of the film. It's never going to be understood or analyzed as its own it is clearly a part one of a two-parter and in that sense like i can't judge it on that merit yet although i do think that like the running the four different like four simultaneous storylines and kind of just cutting it up 
I think that was the only way you could balance it or bring any balance to this, like Joey said, with how many characters you have. It makes it really, really difficult. So actually splitting them apart and having divergent storylines kind of worked better for me than putting them all in a room like they usually do or a majority of them in a room and then having kind of everybody fight for attention and screen time. I love both of those perspectives, and I think they really highlight why people might come back to these franchises so endlessly. And speaking of people who have come back to these franchises, Kevo, you know, you are a guy who says, no, no, if that is called, you know, comic issue number three, I don't care that it's part three of five. It should be issue number three. How did you feel about Fast X and its part in this bigger picture of serialized storytelling adapting the screen it fits on um you know i think a lot of it even speaks to what the joes were saying uh where so much of this is going to be recontextualized once the story is out and uh in a way that i think is so different from even something like infinity war where infinity war stands as a standalone film as the infinity war but this really turned out to be like the first part of a two-parter like a two-part episode and or maybe two we don't even know and that's something that is my boy's coming back so there's gonna be three because my guy's coming back yeah, and that's something that is a little bit more complicated than I think I've seen on film before. Um, I perhaps wish I'd been expecting it a little bit more. Because to me, in a lot of ways, this didn't even feel like a film as sort of like a miniseries. Uh, where there's these serialized chapters, and then there's the big cliffhanger. And it's really more for me agita of not knowing where it's going to be going not knowing how it's going to unfold it was supposed to be there's one more and now surprise there's two more but there's always all these rumors of there's going to be a female-led film and there's still all these entries for there's supposed to be another hobbs and shaw and, and there's also were... one that venice mentioned recently called the torettos which we know nothing about other than a title but there's going to be another movie maybe called the torettos so and all of that is really great, but it's just a matter of you were like, this is it. This is the end. And mm-hmm. something that it gave me flashbacks to was, of all things, toward the end of Steven Universe's run, when they were doing all of these really climactic, like, driving toward an ending things. But they weren't saying the show was ending or anything. And then, like, they were like, it's a movie. We're doing a movie. And then we're doing a final season. And then that's it. And it just came out of nowhere. And... It's just a matter of wanting to be prepared for what I am watching. And I think that's where um, it sort of gets me uh, with it being such a strange way to tell the story. It's not even that it's bad. Um, And, you know, like you guys said, there's so many characters that they want to make sure all get featured. And so you have to, like cycle through these stories at a mad pace at times it's the only way you can make sure that you get everyone featured and you know it's it's what everybody wants to do i mean all these people are playing these characters and you know everyone has their different say by this point which is wild but it's just 
the producer credit everyone has earned by this point is they're practically <laughs> all just making it themselves. So, you know, it's it's like you said, sometimes these films, when it gets to a franchise and when they encounter these hurdles, it's a miracle when it comes out the way it does. So this is a this is the question that we wanted to ask you about, because I don't like Infinity War as much as you guys do. I remember when you did the MCU countdown around Endgame. It came out on top among your listeners. And, and you had it at really. like number 17. And I'm like, I'm like, I like parts of it. Like when Cap steps out of the shadows, I'm like, hell yeah, that's an awesome moment. And then it's just like, I feel like it's a part one of a two. And I think it works better than this on its own. But this also feels kind of like The Matrix Reloaded, where that movie's like, it ends with Neo in a coma. And you're like, and Agent Smith's in the real world. It's just like, I don't know. But it's like, in six months, you'll get a resolution. Here, we have maybe two years to wait yeah. We also don't know what's happening next. If the writer's strike impacts that, it might be longer. Yep. And my real question for you, Kevo, and also Nico and TK, if you want to chime in as well, I didn't know you were going to be here, but welcome to this question that I've had brewing in my mind for two weeks. Is this at all acceptable? Is this okay? Like, is it permissible for a major motion picture that charges full admission price to make fans wait two years and if this is like a less successful franchise like if this movie bombs at the box office which it hasn't but if it bombs they're like why would we give you 350 million dollars for the next one like there's a chance that with any number of things that could go wrong we never get an 11 and like this does not feel satisfying like is this something that we should be as fans of like media and movies and entertainment in general should we allow should we be okay with this my quick answer is no. Uh, this is actually one of the things that we've always done on this show, whether it was HTML or Access for Podcast. We say, is this worth your $3.99 as a comic book issue? Or is this worth your $11.75 as a movie ticket? And this would not have been worth my time as a film. As an entry in a franchise, it's worth my time. Mm -hmm. But as a film, no. No, I felt very shortchanged. Imagine if you bought a beer and you started drinking it and you got to hold the <laughs> bottle and you got to smell the beer, but you didn't get to taste it or feel the buzz for possibly two and a half years if you got it at all. Is that yeah. beer a Corona? Uh, Well, if it is, at then there's food all over the place. Okay. But, uh, you know, with that, I don't want to forget, TK, when you answer the, the previous question, I, if you could please bring up that you didn't realize that Rita Moreno, this was her first movie because that was like the selling point. But I definitely want Kevo in your answer to Joey's question too because it's such a great question. Thank you. So yeah, I, I mean that goes to the thing I was saying about how I wasn't really expecting the family aspect of this. I didn't really realize that that was and like I even knew the meme um, that Kevo whips okay. out at least once a week when we're recording oh. um, the family. Okay. I think it's about to about to pop up. Um, but like, I didn't realize <laughs> it was going to be as like, you know, uh, barbecues with everybody there and just like the rainbow family of it all, which I, I did love. And Rita Moreno shows up and it's just like, of course she does. Of course she's their mother. Uh, and so my assumption, and this was backed up by Helen Mirren being there. My assumption was that she had just been in the other movies that I hadn't seen. 
Uh, so Man, you know, I, I love so much. Sorry, sorry. I love so much that I'm like, were you ready for how crazy it was? And the answer was yes, but you were not ready for like how normal it was. Yeah, like that's what threw you, which is so weird and it's wonderful. Wild to hear. Yeah. I agree. I'm I'm loving it too. Yeah. Um, one hundred percent. That's that is exactly correct. I was not ready for the kind of normalcy and just like you know that he hugs his fucking kid. Like mm-hmm. there, those were the <laughs> yeah. moments. Yeah. I was like, I don't. I didn't realize they did that. Um. <laughs> His unrecognizable kid. Yeah, that I've, I'll leave that one alone for now. There's a scene in the ninth movie where he calls his kid, like, thinking he's about to die. Like, make sure you do your homework and you listen to Uncle Brian. Like, there's, like, a real tender, like, phone call. Like, they take the time to be like, no, he's a good person and a good father. Uncle offscreen. Um, so, <laughs> you were saying. But to go back to the question... Um, yeah, I'm I'm totally good with it. I think uh, after, wow. you know, decades of cinema, we're kind of running. It's kind of the, like the, what's happening with this movie internally as well. We're running out of things to do. It's boring to just release movies the same way now. Um, we have to take some risks and we have to kind of make some assumptions about behavior. The fact of the matter is if you build up a 10 movie franchise, people are probably just gonna go see the 11th. Most people who care will go and there won't probably will not. Yes, it is a risk, but there will probably not be such a backlash that you made a mistake by splitting them up in this way when you can definitely make a second movie. I remember the first time I really thought about this was Kill Bill. Uh, Should Kill Bill have just been one movie? No. Did I hate the wait? Was it interminable? Absolutely. But it could have been three movies. It 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 absolutely could have been three movies. It could have been one movie, but they, you know, Tarantino knew what he had on his hands and knew he could make people pay to see two different films. Uh, This is clearly what's happening here. Do I think this is the height of cinema? No. I think if you make (laughs) a really solid film, it does have the clear defined lines of beginning, middle, and end. Have I seen this with Kill Bill, Harry Potter, the MCU, probably the DC movies? I just didn't care what was happening. Um, But yeah, to me, it's just like make four more of them and you can't understand a single one of them unless you watch all four because they've just already done so much. It's the reason why I'm like, drive the car into space, but do the Elon Musk Tesla to Mars and have it be part of the fast and furious franchise. And they're done that. Oh, that was, I don't movie. know what else they would do. Well, time uh, travel. Like we, we talk about a lot. Cause yeah. like they, they literally do. So they're for years. TK, I don't know if you had heard, like if you had picked up on this, but like for years, the meme was like, they're going to go to space. It's going to yeah. be There's crazy. There's nothing left. Like you're saying. Yeah. And yeah. they went to space. They right. literally sent a Fiero into outer space. And so we're like, Two how do ago. you, how do you up space? And it's like, well, time travel. And so in this movie, cypher shows up in a delorean they make two or three jokes about time travel like they know that we're all collectively like you're gonna one-up yourself and they haven't done that yet like when jacob unveils the cannon car it's like is that a time machine no it's just a car with cannons on it but like it looks like a goddamn time machine yeah so they know what they're doing and like it would not be surprising in the least if in 11 or hobbs or whatever there is time travel right like it's gonna happen at some point or it's not but like the the bar as you've been saying has been set like one up yourself go crazy we've already suspended disbelief keep going 
I mean, I think probably like things like AI will be become huge. Like they'll start talking about quantum computing as it relates to cars and in, in they'll future pull ones. stuff from Spy Racers that they did. Yeah, where like someone yeah. tries to set up all the volcanoes in the world and they have to yeah. stop that. Well, Kevin, um, a... because like the Mission Impossible movies are also doing this, so like it's you know it's. I, I to me it's it's all kind of expected and exactly on course. I think it would be more disappointing to me if at this point they were just like, "Yep, we just you know made another one, beginning, middle, and end, and it's done." Um, I'm more excited about it's this franchise now, knowing that I bought in and I have to go watch another one to see what Ooh. happens with Jason Momoa. So, Kevo. I have to ask you, Joey's question, how do you feel about this as an entry in a larger thing? Is this for you like the David trilogy and Animorphs where you'd be real screwed if you just tried to read the second one? Or is this for you like any old book of Animorphs where it's just like, well, fucking yerks and puberty. Where's all this Animorph stuff coming from today? <laughs> okay. Um... I, you know, the thing that I really felt on this movie more than anything is that, like, as the plot was developing and as we're finding out who the bad guy is, I was like, it's another person that Dom wronged in a previous movie who's coming back for revenge. It's just going to keep happening. And eventually the answer is just you have to retire. So that was like... Because you're just going to keep pissing people off and they're just going to keep coming for you. And the cycle is just going to continue. So in that way, it sort of felt like this is just a perpetual cycle. Um, was Am I afraid or was I afraid at any point that we're not going to get a conclusion to this film? No. Even with the writer's strike, even if this bombed, knowing how dedicated Vin Diesel is to the projects that he loves and how hard he would work, I... Would and, and just the day and age that we live in, where so many things get second, third, fourth, 20th chances, I know. I don't think we're not going to get a conclusion to this story in some way, Riddick. shape, or form. Even if it's just a Los Bandoleros form, we'll get something. I'm not worried that we won't find out what happened to these characters or anything like that. Uh, it's really mostly I don't like, appreciate, or think it was a good risk with not having the next one in the can not being ready in a year with the next installment the fact that we don't know is it going to be 2025 that's already way too long mm -hmm. it might be 2026 or mm -hmm. longer just for the next one and there's supposed to be another after that and they're talking about it's still not done so this franchise is going to be gone on for like 26 years well, at so a certain the, point and it's new... and it's totally fine to keep going but like i want more in that time not take all of that time to tell just two more movies you want the spy racers effect or just like pull another season out of somewhere but there is the somewhere that came in between out this week where there's apparently a new movie called hobbs which is going to come out before 11 and that supposedly is already written so like if that's the case, they could theoretically shoot that this year and release that next year. Because, like, they they have enough movies that, like, we always thought when Hobbs and Shaw first came out, they're going to go Hobbs and Shaw, yep. F9, Hobbs and Shaw 2, whatever. You know what I mean? And then COVID happened and everything ground to a halt. And then 
Vin and The Rock had a falling out, and who knows whatever is true of any of that, right? But like, there's enough movies that they've announced or teased or previewed or whatever that they could do one a year, and that feels like enough. Like, you know, we don't have to do the Marvel thing of three or four a year, but if you give one major summer blockbuster a year, that's incredible, and I think that fits the void that you're talking about. I also love that you're saying the name of that movie is Hobbs, which impl- which gives the implication that the spin-off branch of these films could take the same naming style as the main branch and like the yep. next one can be Shaw. The mm-hmm. next one after yep. that can be Shaw's plural because mm-hmm. there's three of them. Mm-hmm. So like that that that's just that's just, that's beautiful. And that's you know it, that's what I'm saying I that's what I love about this franchise is that there can be so much but if it's potentially they're slowing down after just having done this, I do find that frustrating. I agree. Nico. Which brings me to a question. I think that Vin Diesel's really, you could almost convince me it's synthol. He is always so flexed. Other than Vin Diesel's gigantic fucking old man biceps, which daddy choke me where I'm here for it. <laughs> um, I'm going to lick your bald head. I think the other thing that this film offers is, guys, over under, how many days of shooting do you think Brie Larson did? Ten. That's I was going to say, I, I gonna that's, say that's, six. That's under that. I would say five. Yeah, she I did, get that too. Is he five? Bridge stuff, prison stuff, bar stuff. The bridge there... and the bar, I think, took longer than you guys think it did. No, okay. I know, but she's not in the bridge the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think was I there think a fourth travel location too, she was? She's she has the scene in the black box. She has the scene with Michelle Rodriguez. She has the scene at the bar, and she has the scene at the bridge. Right. So, so yeah, maybe the, the, eight days. The, I think it's less than ten. I don't think it's a lot, but I think it's also the thing where it's like they made such a big deal about getting Brie Larson in the movies and understandably so like she leads a Marvel movie. She's yeah. an Academy award winning actress. And then she's, she's on screen for eight minutes. Right. Well, and like how many of these actors did it in that? How many of these actors like, you know, fucking the rock Dwayne Johnson, Charlie's Charlie's Theron. Like how many John actors Cena. film? Exactly. John Cena, the most beautiful man in the world. He's very How handsome, many... and just I love that they drove a plane out of a plane. That was fun. That was I was like, okay, I'm... okay. There is so much that action you're gonna love. You're gonna love yeah. in these movies. There's so yeah. much you're ta- you're hinting at that you don't even know. So You've done this all before, and it's been beautiful. I fully believe it. So how do you guys feel about how many of the actors that uh, were basically uh, the equivalent of Bond in a Bond spoof? Uh, in terms of filming days on set for this. I think that's the way to do it at number 10. Uh, What I'm really impressed by is that they added people. Uh, You know, that they added Rena Moreno, that they added Brie Larson. It's starting to feel like DLC, though, bro. (laughs) 100%. I buy the DLC. I'm the problem. I'm the reason that the industry perpetuates the terrible standards that it has. I will buy the DLC without thinking about it, then hate it and buy the next one. Um, And, you know, I... I, Nico, you called it a playlist of moments. And I kind of was like, that's all I want. I don't want something that's more involved. And like, I got who everybody was 
without like I did a little bit of research because I have to come on a show and talk about it. But like I said, the Helen Mirren thing was the perfect example. I was like, okay, this is like an unlady in the underground. No, who can give them information. They're just having a cool conversation. Helen Mirren brought in a new accent. It's great stuff. Then she shows up on the screen and I'm like, oh, she's the mom. That's really cool. And that happened like six or seven times. And, and all of the scenes are just like, now this person's here. Now that person's here. Brie Larson puts spikes on all her shoes for some fucking reason. <laughs> because it looks awesome and she's able to yeah. squish hoods. Uh, yeah, Anything she squishes hoods. She smashes balls. I so get it. I'm obsessed with it. I just thought it was really funny that they're like, her thing is spikes uh, sold. <laughs> um, so I'm confused. Are she and um, Scott Eastwood kurt russell's children no Scott he is, is not, not she yet. is she is definitely his child but yes scott eastwood even though he's called little nobody yes is not that's nonsense yeah that's a diminutive he, dismissive nickname that he's less than nothing yeah yes. he's sort of like the annabelle gish to jillian anderson on the x-files that's also nonsense, but i get what's happening she's making the dolphin noises during the birthing okay and that makes Tess William the baby? <laughs> is that the name? Is that the baby name? I think it's the baby name, yeah, right? William. William? Yeah. Whew. Glad I told that. I would have felt very disappointed in myself. Nico, I have a question for you. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So there's a big thing that people have pointed out that you know people have written into our show have love that we loved in the theaters. The music in this movie is incredible. They finally use gasolina which feels like it should have been in every Fast and Furious movie, hadn't been up to this point. But I want to specifically call attention to the scene in which Dante evokes Swan Lake on the bridge, and Brian Tyler, not your BT, but Brian Tyler, incorporates it into the score in a way, and he says, quote, Dante is charming and he makes you laugh, so I used high strings like the harp, and then we get into bass music with modern instruments, it gives you this feeling that you can't look away. There's a sense of empathizing with him and why he becomes this villain. So as the music guy, did you love the soundtrack? Did you love the score? Did you love the way that it was composed, that it was brought in here? Did you love the Swan Lake needle drop? What did you think of the com- the composition of this movie? So if you want to tell me that you've heard about smart things... You should definitely tell me about Sinsu's The Art of War. And if you want to tell me that you've heard about a really long book, you should tell me about War and Peace or Anna Karenina. And if you want to tell me that you listen to cool indie music, you can tell me all about your remastered copy of anything by Wilco. But if what you want to channel is something that evokes something powerful. How many people do you think actually recognize Swan Lake? Right? I think a, a, a bunch. I don't know. I As did. Swan Lake, I don't know. But do they yeah. recognize the music? Fair, sure. Fair. So why not? Also, I think he says Swan Lake, or he says Nutcrack. He says something. Sure, but then you're going for such an obvious pedestrian yeah. reference, and there's better pieces by Debussy by Chopin by like all of these people who aren't Tchaikovsky who is the master of the classical ballet but like 
people recognize pieces from Wagner. They recognize pieces from Madam Butterfly. I'm not saying use B.D. Wong's solo from M. Butterfly from 89. But I am saying I can see why these are standards, why references that are standard references are standard references. But when I've seen a hundred other people reference Swan Lake, I mean, like when you say Swan Lake, I immediately go to Black Swan. And now I don't Mm -hmm. care that Fast and Furious did a pedestrian take on something I've seen Natalie Portman, the greatest actress of her generation and TK's favorite. Um, I've seen her you know fucking smash fucking vag with mila kunis like you love that movie you give me a fucking break how are you going to make a reference to swan lake that comes anywhere near the two of them smashing fucking clits and it's just not gonna happen this is not the answer i expected but it's the one i should have expected yeah probably so uh to that until you can give me a Swan Lake reference as powerful as Swan's Crossing, the uh, WB-esque, WPIX, 4.30 in the afternoon and 4.30 in the morning, soap opera starring Sarah Michelle Geller. I just don't think you have the Swan reference to make me go quack, quack, bitch. Quack, quack, bitch. Okay. The duck goes quack. Uh, if I could take a swing, though, because I am a huge fan of Brian Tyler. Um, I'm so sorry like, that I no, don't I know don't... the sound that a fucking swan makes. It's like a honk, honk. honk. It's yeah. like a honk. <laughs> we all know right. it. Right, I forgot. Sorry, Kevin. You go. Kevin, are you on coke? <laughs> Not right um, now. And you know, I don't disagree with you that I didn't enjoy it. Uh, and most specifically, like. This is what's making you feel this character is sympathetic? No. Nothing about this villain was sympathetic. Uh, He was entertaining. But no, there is no, you killed my daddy, so now I have revenge. No. Shut up, Brian. No. There is nothing that you could have played over that scene that would have made me, in that moment, connect with that. No, there's no connecting with him. The scene with him playing with the dead bodies. Mm-hmm. No, there's no sympathy. There's, there's, he's, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay for a villain to be that, but I'm not interested in anything like that. And I swear to God, if he turns up at the cookout in two movies, I'm going to be so it mad. Kind of has to happen, though, right? I don't know. This one's too show. much. He needs okay. to blow up. He needs okay. to be shot into the sun. I think, I think he <laughs> is going to be shot into the sun. I think the interesting thing about him is he points to the question like, are these guys really the good guys? Like, you're not supposed to sympathize with Jason Momoa, but you are supposed to kind of be like, he's Mm. not wrong. They do, like, wreak wanton destruction wherever they go and leave a path of bodies in their wake. And I can imagine, it's like the the Invisibles, the first thing that happens in (laughs) Grant Morrison's Invisibles is that one of the guys shoots a henchman and it the, the trauma it informs the rest of the series because like yeah. superheroes leave bodies in their wake and we just are like no they're the good guys and Jason Momoa is not someone you're supposed to sympathize with but you are supposed to be like they did kill his dad and take all of his money like his hot his, hot dad his hot hot dad breeding a hot hot son his hot uh, hot dad everybody just like money. I mean 
the cycles going on on that set is somebody in charge of that specifically i have to believe um but to your point of like the musical cues i obviously i didn't have the moment of sympathizing with him but i did have this moment of being like they know what they're doing here they are giving us a villain that is making us stop and be like well points have been made and when you contrast that with some music that is like stereotypically for the the sympathetic villain it does something interesting I think they kind of screwed it up by doing the nail painting scene. I think that was like, no, now he's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, at any given point, he looks like he's either about to join a Nelson cover band or perhaps tell me that he's the one who wants to be with me and deep inside he hopes I feel it too. But the bigger complication for me with this villain is Jason Momoa. Really, really, I mean... I have never been a fan of Jason Momoa's. He is my least favorite thing about the Stargate franchise. He is not an actor I have ever felt anything for. And I've come out very strongly against his work on HTML because I just think he's very flat. But in this, I truly felt like he was given... I I don't know. Like, have you ever heard the Richard Cheese cover of Down With The Sickness? And the ways in which uh, uh, it, uh. exactly the ways it takes the song and elevates it. Mm-hmm. I really feel like Jason Momoa. This is his. Ooh, ah, ah, ah. I really genuinely feel like what he did was he took something that I guess is like, I'm, a, I'm actually like an ironic disturbed fan. I think that, you know, the sickness is a great record. You know what I mean? Like it's silly dropping plates off your ass. You know what I mean? Um, but, it was successful. But it's dumb as shit. It's embarrassingly bad. And occasionally the script he was given was some of the worst dialogue the franchise has had. And not that the franchise has nothing but bad dialogue, but the worst of anything is not good. Right? The worst thing Meryl Streep has ever done is still like probably punched a homeless person. You know what I mean? And that's still pretty bad. So... <laughs> I thought I'd get through without laughing. I'm so Kevo, if you're editing stuff, maybe that one just falls no. by the wayside. You want no, to take it, that again? it started normal and then just became Nico. Anyway, um, I, I do think he did a really I did, really job. does feel like he was given a script and a director was like, I don't know, just have fun with it. What what were you thinking of doing? Just go with it. Like, do whatever you want. And he kind of did. I don't feel it does not feel like he was directed. It does not feel like this performance was pre-planned by the production staff. It feels like that he was told, like, what do you want to do? How do you want to ham this up? What would make it the easiest to like kind of get it out? And this is his kind of like silly over the topness that works regardless of how hammy the dialogue is. Now, how did you guys feel about Dante? Like, Kevo, Joey, Joe, how I, did you guys feel about uh, the villain with the biggest perm? I, I kind of liked him. It looked like, so for me, one of the biggest things I took away and why I liked Dante so much is because it looked like Jason Momoa was having a fucking blast doing this character. Oh, yeah. Like, he looked like he was personally enjoying it, and it just, like, exudes off the screen for me. So, like, I can't hate on anybody that's having that much fun doing their job at all. Yeah. So, good on that 
And two, I also have like a side theory that I don't think that his character was supposed to be as prevalent in this movie as it was. And it possibly it could have been like him and Cypher split bad guy duties, but they liked it enough that they gave him way more screen time than I thought that he was originally going to get. They were like, oh, this looks like he's having a blast. Everybody else seems like they're having fun. He's doing a good job like keep going and they're just like they're just right because i mean they're changing the script we know that justin lynn leaves in the first week like they have to be you know updating moving the script around a little bit as they're shooting so they're like just keep writing it we'll just keep shooting it as you write it like go it's dylan mckay syndrome yeah dylan mckay was so cool that even though he's only supposed to be in one episode of 90210 they literally on the spot kept writing new dialogue for luke perry so that his character would stick around. Exactly. The opposite of Eric Balfour syndrome. Aww. Yeah, or everybody else on Ellen. (laughs) I I think one thing that this franchise has always kind of lacked is a strong central villain. I think everything, like, what stands out is the team comes together against whatever faces them, and it's like, it's AI against the world, or it's this, or it's that, but never really had, like, somewhere you can point to, like, that's a great villain. Like, Deckard, Statham as Deckard in Seven is the best villain Momo was up there. Momo was up there, if only by process of elimination. But I also think, to Joe's point, he's having a lot of fun. He's fun to watch. I like the nail painting scene. I think it all works to to really show like they like they've not really gone against someone who seems not afraid to die. And I feel like there's Ooh. something about him that's unhinged in a way that feels new and refreshing yeah. Yeah. for the franchise, which I'm excited by. And we were not really feeling Cypher. Uh, for as much as we all love show- Charlize, uh, you guys have a show about Charlize. Like, we mm-hmm. think she's great. Uh, but this character never really picked up. She was always kind of grating. Uh, she was always kind of too serious in a lot of ways that didn't really match the tone of the franchise. And I think for as much as I feel Jason Momoa could be cartoonish, uh, they're going to space that fits the tone and you know you want to enjoy these it doesn't want to feel like a dramatic slog you it wants to be fast paced and i feel like cypher was uh just not really doing it unfortunately well what i liked about this movie in particular with cypher is that they realized oh right we have atomic blonde we've stuck her behind a computer for two movies we have like one of the most competent adept badass leading ladies in hollywood let's let her fight people and they give yep. her two really good fight scenes and it shows it's like yes look great that's a good yeah. thing. you know who belongs in this franchise that's okay we have to wrap up because time wise we have to wrap up but that's it that's what we're going to end on we're going to end on a cool question. Who would you add into this franchise? And who would they play possibly if you have a role for them? I'm telling you right now, I want Hillary Swank to play Dom Toretto's godfather's daughter. Dom Toretto's godfather's daughter. Okay. Who also races cars. And uh, it's Hillary Swank. And she's just fucking full on like man Hillary Swank. And she just fucking fights. She kills Cypher. She punches Cypher. It's very get away from my daughter, you bitch. It's very just kill Bellatrix. Um, and I think Hillary Swank would just come into the films and be like, oh, guys, uh, I, uh, 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 
Guys, oh. In that way that Hilary Swank is in every film and gets Oscars for it because it's great. She goes, she, what Charlie on Sunny is funny, she plays very seriously, very often. And I just think that behind the wheel in a Fast and Furious movie. She Oscars. does give Gail the snail. Yeah. So, guys. <laughs> Who would you add to this franchise? And if I could add anybody else, uh, it would just be, uh, I don't know, just somebody silly. Like I would add like actually somebody like ridiculous for fun, just for the good laugh. Like Martha Stewart plays Martha Stewart, who is still like a drag racer, but she's Martha Stewart. Like just something for silly, but like Hillary Swank or Martha Stewart, please. I was going to go with the low-hanging fruit because we're talking to you guys and just add Tyler Posey in as Jacob's I mean, yeah. son. And then he's Jacob's son, and you get, you know, Uncle Dom right there. Uncle Dom? Yeah? yeah. Uncle Dom, exactly. you want to subscribe to my OnlyFans? <laughs> it's Thank you, Tyler. The rumor for years since Hobbs and Shaw was Keanu. And I feel like Keanu is a natural fit. Apparently, uh, Alan Richson, we were talking about him before, took the Keanu role that was originally supposed to be Keanu as the lead of the agency. Yeah. Um, but scheduling conflicts, he dropped out, and Alan Richson took that position. But better, he, better job there. Seriously. Yeah. I, I would want Keanu, Keanu to be a good guy. You still got room to have Keanu in here somewhere, right? So let's yeah. get him in there. And Zephron. Why not Zephron? Well, he should have been Scott Little Eastwood. nobody. Like, that's yeah, the we whole say thing. This. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so fucking roided out for that uh, super wrestler movie he's making coming up. Oh, yeah, great. right. I've heard great. That. He looks yeah. like truly deformed at this point. It looks incredible on it. As a guy who appreciates, you know, Roid Gut, he looks really like none of the guys in this movie could carry the weight that Zac Efron carries on that frame. And I wonder if because uh, it's John Cena, the rock, like wrestlers, literal wrestlers only. I wonder if that's part of the danger of casting a Zephron when he's so thick fucking beef. Well, he was ripped for so long. And then didn't he say, Joe, he's just like, he I don't want to do this quit. anymore. I'm he said tired he of said, having to work out all the day. And then yeah, all he of said a sudden, after Baywatch, he was done doing this. And then we saw the preview for the wrestler movie and we were like, Zeph, come on, man. Like, cause he was, he was just like dicking off with bear girls for like a year and a half or longer. And we were like, that's good. Looks like he's living his life. And then like, no, he's all juiced up again. I don't know. If he wants to be good for him, if you can handle that trend cycle and that trend cough doesn't freak you the fuck out for the first 20 minutes, good for you. So, Kevo, uh, TK, uh, who we adding uh, to the Fast and Furious? Uh, I'm, I was trying to like think of a good queer male actor. I want to go with Lee Pace. He's excellent a, choice. He, oh, he's, he's a be good, good age this. for this bunch. Uh, he is stunningly beautiful uh you know he'd probably throw on a few pounds of muscle to be in one of these movies uh he is the guy who comes to the barbecue and tells everybody it's okay to kiss each other and he also (laughs) says while we're here let's play bodies 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 and they're like how do you know about that game (laughs) and he did put on a good amount of size for ronin yeah which i feel so bad for him about yeah like uh when uh kumail did it 
for Eternals. You know, he did it for himself for Eternals because his character was never going to be shirtless. But like then he did that AAIP month ad where he's like 10 times bigger than he was in Eternals. And you're yeah. like, wow. Kevo, who we adding? Um, probably just because we've been so oversaturated on it lately. But um, I want to see some drag queens. Oh, let's uh, let's get let's 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 find an excuse to get some sort of uh, mini episode Trixie in one Mattel. of these. Trixie Mattel driving Barbie's dream um, car. Perhaps there needs to be some sort of uh, closing scene of Birdcage esque shenanigans where they need to disguise themselves and get the help of some local drag queens and um, you know Tej and Roman fight over whose tits look better. Uh, oh, just because Drag Race is right there, and so I'm Bianca Del Rio, and my car runs on insult. You're yeah, stupid. You said yeah, you said Trixie, and I'm like, no. If someone is going to get behind the wheel and be as aggressive as everyone, if anyone would be stand up to Letty, it's Bianca Del Rio. I feel like Lucy would literally drive like she's willing to die in a way that. I like. I mean, uh... you don't know these women. It's, it's got to be like Aquaria or Violet, and they're just, they're just like beat, and they just. I don't know. I I think this is a brilliant idea, Kevo. I have a lot of Shanji behind the wheel, though. No, I I want Shanji to blow up in the bomb <laughs> that goes into the river, but this time it's just the old Mississippi River. I'm Teddy, and this is how I drive my car. Miss Vanjie's car can only back up. <laughs> Ferris horn is all. <laughs> we make our own fun. Valentina's horn. I was going to uh, say, Valentina heart. actually would be a fucking banging option. She refuses to take the thing out of her uh, I'd like windshield. to keep the sham on, please. Okay, so back to, back to cars. Um, and not just hot girls. So... Joey, Joe, uh, I want to thank you guys, not for being on the show, because fuck you both for that. I want <laughs> to thank you both actually really seriously. The last couple of years, I've had to really open my mind to new ideas because it came pretty clear to me that if all I ever liked were the X-Men, Daredevil, Disney movies, and Broadway shows, I was going to live a really predictably sad life and taking a chance on stuff that I had no fucking interest in like fat like fast and furious like drag race for tk and jonah it's actually like genuinely transformed my life i might not have the best relationship with fast and the furious but like i do actually go to the new york international auto show and yes it's for hot older boyfriend but it's for the fact that there's something there for me to enjoy and interacting with the cars and unrecognizing things that I'm like, no, that would have been impossible. But like hearing them tell me about how the cars can do those at the auto show and then seeing the fictionalized version in the films, you know, I just want to thank you guys for compelling me to interact with media. I wouldn't have given the time of day. And I'm so glad that I've spent uh, a Shakespeare folios worth of time um, on the fucking Toretto's Shaw's O'Connor's. Thanks. That's the greatest compliment you could give us. Cause I think our ultimate goal and mission 
is to just tell everybody that Fast and the Furious is welcoming for everyone. And like, you might not like cars, you might not like action movies, but there's going to be something for you. And they want everybody like involved and they're very well. It's about family. Like they want to bring you in. So I'm glad that you're on board now. And case in point, I don't like cars. Joe doesn't like action movies. We're here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And moreover, it taught me about the universality of concept, the fast force, the furious force, the heart of the race. Obviously, they're silly made up things, but actually that there is a straight man and there is the explosive man, that there is the character whose heart is treated as a magical idea. These are just true of fairy tales. These are true of every fairy tale. These are true of every action movie. I might ascribe silly terms because of car terminology, but the idea is actually that the Fast and Furious is as universal as any story gets because it's about man and machine working together to overcome societal odds, not insurmountable, incalculable fate odds. And I'd love to get uh, Kevo, you know, as the guy who's been with me on this whole thing, and TK as the guy that I literally just was sort of like, go watch this. Um, and I don't know that I asked you. I think I was like, Joey and Joe are coming on. Go watch this. Um, I would love to get your guys' reaction to sort of that idea that this isn't a franchise about cars. This is... Fuck. I, it's like, it's like miscongeniality. And I really do want world peace. After you, Keva. Sure. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I, I love the way you're describing them almost like fairy tale tropes or like superhero tropes. My biggest disappointment from this movie, I'm not joking. I turned to you and was like, they, they've not even mentioned Nas more than like two times this whole movie. <laughs> I'm so mad. Do they even still use Nas? I don't even know. So I was so mad. That's where they get their magic powers, and they didn't Except mention the gummy berry juice. What's the stuff in Spy Racers that gives you your magic powers? The drink, Yuka? right? Yuka. What is it, Kevy? Is it Yuka? Is that what it's called? No, it's something Oka. Yoka? No. Yoka. 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 Yeah. You were so close. So close. Yoka. We'll look it I up. Think so that yeah. sounds right. I'm giving my closing remarks. I can't look it up. It is Yoka. Y-O-K-A. Yoka, 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 Yoka. Yeah, we love the song. We love um, the song and the monkey. But yeah, that's exactly... We love these things. We love the jingle. I would love to see them to mention Yoka in, in the movies. Because, um, you know, uh, all of this cross-potential uh, between all the different avenues of this franchise and all the different things that it brings, it's just fun. And uh, people make such a big deal of so many things, and especially franchises where, like, this thing is 22 years old. Is it weird and complicated? Yes, it's 22 years old. If you don't like that, don't go to it. You can go watch a different movie. You can even go watch a different action movie about cars that's less complicated. But, like, so many people just want to yuck this series, which is just, you know... TK just had the experience of this is his third one, and he's like, yeah, it's just cute. It's just let people enjoy it. 
I do think definitely let people enjoy it. I, you know, one of the others I compared it to that has a similar situation in terms of how many movies have come out that it's doing one this year that it has a definite sequel coming is Mission Impossible. And I do feel like I see nothing in Mission Impossible that excites me at all, except Rebecca Ferguson, who is just the best actress. Um, and who we were watching in Silo, guys. I don't know if you remember. Is she the female lead? Yes. Oh my god, she's so fucking talented. It she's she's phenomenal. Television. Uh, so uh, she's in Mission Impossible now, and it, that's the only thing that interests me. But um, you know, there are two franchises that I was looking at prior to you know talking about this, and I, you know, I was thinking about prior to us knowing we were doing this particular episode. And I really do think that there is something unique about the Fast and the Furious franchise, its longevity, its connection to like the roots of it in late 90s, early 2000s culture and like the celebrities that they brought Uh on who Paul Walker was when that franchise started, like Paul Walker of Varsity Blues. Blue Crush? Fast, yes, She's into Fast that. Series, Blue Crush. I really like those were the teen idols of my day, and the fact that so many of these people grew into the adults of this movie that they pulled in people like Brie Larson. Uh, I just think all around, uh, it's very cool and interesting and i i think you guys are right there's something for everybody and even like for somebody like me who does not like cars doesn't really care about action movies like the fact that they're pulling this off is worth the spectacle to go check out uh in a way that is very fun like just to see what nico called the playlist of cool moments is a ton of fun and does definitely make me want to go back and see what caused all of the references that are in the playlist the only other thing i need to shout out is there was an article and i think it was on uh maybe collider i don't remember now but it was like the biggest mistake this franchise made was killing off john cena when he's clearly beginning to bald from all of the testosterone supplements (laughs) (laughs) and that this film franchise is the only film franchise to make room for all bald men And that the hottest, the soon to be hottest bald man in literally history, like John Cena and anybody who knows me knows what I'm about to say. John Cena is as close to Gene Kelly as you're going to get. Um, I think it's very possible he's going to have not died. Very clearly, uh, everybody on the plane is going to have not died. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think it's possible. I will say check out the last few episodes of too fast too forever because we have posited multiple ways in which jacob could not be dead so, yeah i know- think he's such a get at f9 like but at the ninth movie i would be surprised if they were like nailed it we're gonna kill that guy be a real shock if it was a wipeout. um but I, I do want to say that uh, I'm not sure where we lost joe to hopefully he pops back in before we say goodbye but um I truly, truly uh, do hope that John Cena isn't dead because he does contribute so much to this film. Uh, I just I had such a great time. I had such a great time watching it. I had a great time talking about it uh, because what I love more than anything is family. And, uh, you know, it's not just that uh, Joey is the coolest guy 
who taught me how to podcast, which I was able to spread to these two guys like a virus. But um, it's that, Joey, you find the magic in things that people sometimes don't see the magic in. And thank you for showing me the magic in this franchise. And uh, I would love for you to plug uh, your show because I don't listen to podcasts as much as I wish I could because this show takes a lot of time to produce. Yeah. But I do make the time to listen to Too Fast because it Aww. is it's a it's a quality product, right? Because I, I do such a straight guy pop, I need to gay it up for Pride Month. So um please by all means uh pimp your ride. Tell us all that we need to know about Cage Club, your products, and shows that go vroom vroom. Well, first of all, thank you for opening your heart to, how do I want to say this? Opening your heart to take the magic in, I guess, right? Like, it, it, you know, it's a two-way street. It's, we showed you the franchise, but you have to be the one who walks through it. Like, that's the Matrix thing, right? Yes. All right, it's fine. Um, anyway, Too Fast, Too Forever, every Tuesday, wherever you get podcasts, we're in the middle of wrapping up the end of five or six or seven straight weeks of, like, bonus episodes where we're talking to everybody we've done an entire lap with to talk about this movie in particular. So if you want lots and lots of Fast 10 talk, Too Fast, Too Forever, um, at Too Fast, Too Forever on every social media platform, TooFastTooForever.com for our Patreon and bonus episodes and all sorts of fun stuff over there. Um, I wish that Joe was here. He's having... I guess computer issues, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's really fun. We alternate Fast and Furious movies with related movies, so we don't only talk about these. This lap, we are talking about the theme is planes, trains, but no automobiles, which are movies with a central vehicle or chase scene with anything that's not a car. Um, so we got some train movies coming up. We got some boat movies coming up. We got some motorcycle movies coming up. Lots of things to check out every Tuesday wherever you get podcasts at Too Fast Too Forever. Uh, I just want to reiterate that I think what you're doing is, in fact, the automotive gods work, because uh, if I don't get to make the Miss Congeniality musical and I don't get to make the opera about the late night wars, my dream is still to put together a musical production of the French Connection. And uh, I think uh, putting a, a race on a Broadway stage would change the medium forever and car race movies. You know, it's silly, but like racing movies train like my first thought was "Ooh, you guys would do an amazing talk about snowpiercer mm. you guys you know you guys would have you know a great op you know a great fun talking about murder on the asian american express whatever it's called now <laughs> you're the worst <laughs> so joe um joe too Joe too, who is Joe yes. one in my heart because he's Joey. So I'm not fucking anyone over. Um, Joe one who is just so great. Uh, we were saying goodbye and uh, just a quick, what do you guys do? Talk a little bit about your part in. Uh, I saw all the things that you would assume that I would normally say. So add some Joe two weirdness on top of it. Oh, I tell lots of weird stories. I like lifetime movies a lot. We talk about those sometimes. I give uh, horrible takes about movies that Joey thinks is really good. So um, if you want your lady is of, awesome. Yeah. Rachel's great. Uh, if you want to hear stories about that and just like weird places, my brain go and me mixing idioms to stop myself from saying weirder stuff. Uh, come listen to too fast. 
It is quite legitimately a pleasure being a uh, part of your guys' family. And uh, I couldn't thank you guys more than uh, enough for hanging out much later than I said this recording would go. Uh, you guys are not just troopers, but you're friggin' amazing guys. And thank you so much for being here. You're part of our family. Uh, and that's coming from me, Nico Toretto. So uh, until we come back to celebrate the ethnic ambiguity that is Vin Diesel, um, thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, soon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for having us. Always. <laughs> <laughs>